Welcome to episode 10 of the WebJoy podcast. I'm your host, Eddie. In this podcast, we interview guests about their origin story and what makes them excited and joyful to be part of the tech community. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, Making These Rounded Half Triangles with Miriam Isaac. Welcome to another episode of WebJoy. I'm excited to have Miriam Isaac with us today. Miriam, how about you introduce yourself, you know, who you are, what you do, where you work, just the general overview. Yes, brilliant, great to be here on WebJoy, really exciting. So I am Miriam Isaac and I'm a product designer living in Beit Shemesh, Israel, married with four kids. So, you know, a lively household. I grew up in Manchester, England with dreams of being a fashion designer. But with a change of lifestyle, location, marriage, children, I now work as a product designer for an incredible startup in Tel Aviv called Salto. Yeah, so that's me in a nutshell. Awesome. How did you get into tech? What brought design up as something that you were interested in and shift your focus there? Oh gosh, it's quite the story. I was always creative from a young age, drawing, designing, creating. I knew I wanted to work in that field. However, in those days, we were always taught that it was too risky to go into design. You know, you're going to be a starving artist. And on top of that, me and my peers, they didn't know about, you know, NFTs of those days. And nowadays, we're like, yeah, go on, draw those monkeys. Me and my peers were always encouraged to go for practical careers or for careers that would suit being a future mother or wife. But for some reason, I got into my head that I wanted to be a fashion designer. And for some reason, my parents allowed me to pursue this. Maybe it's because I was a girl and they didn't necessarily think I needed to have that responsibility because the boys were more expected in our community to have that kind of responsibility, which of course seems a bit old fashioned nowadays. But in the 90s, in a religious community, that was kind of the standard. However, when I came to Israel, Something inside of me clicked and I decided to stay. I met my husband, we got married, but I found myself with no degree or money making skills. I did some research and found that religious girls in Israel generally went for graphic design courses. So I took a course. After carrying out that course, there weren't like any opportunities. So I took another course in web design. And after I completed that course, I somehow started designing and building websites for small businesses. And this was back in 2010. And businesses were being told that you need to be searchable online. You need to like have a business card online. And somehow in the community, I became the person to go to for small websites. I also think because of my non-art school background, I was a very business and user-focused designer from day one. I was always curious about if the websites I designed were useful, valuable, usable, and I was a very early adopter of any tool that would give me any sort of web analytics on the websites I was building. Usually in those days when you design, you just hand off the Photoshop files, all the little slices, <laughs> <laughs> and they were done. And I would follow up with clients just out of pure curiosity just to know how did it do <laughs> it was always curious about that i think because of this trait i was recruited by a local like e-commerce business who needed a web designer that specialized in conversion while i was there 
I eventually became a UX manager, leading a team of designers, developers and writers. This was because I was so interested in how we could improve the website and business through this newfangled thing called user experience. So, yeah. It's funny because you talk about slices in Photoshop and I definitely was doing web development at that time. I mean, at times it's so funny how much of a website might end up being images rather than trying to recreate everything in CSS like we do now where everything has to be responsive. We would literally just grab sections of these images that designers like you would create in Photoshop and just put images all around our website, which we could match just a very specific kind of window size because you didn't have mobile phones and iPads and all these different crazy screen sizes. Oh yeah, for sure. I remember to make rounded corners, you had to cut these little tiny squares. <laughs> I can't remember like making these rounded half triangles, but then they had to match the background as well because you, you couldn't have a transparent background. To do opacity, you had to actually create a slice that was opaque. That's how you did it. <laughs> Yeah, it was a funny time, but also a very creative time as well, because there was no responsive. So, and then I remember when we went responsive, we kind of had to take a step back creatively. We weren't very flat, you know, because we didn't know how to do shadows and CSS. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely, like you said, an interesting transition because things were very pixel perfect and very elaborate on the web, yeah. very skeuomorphic and things like that. Yeah. We had to do that step back because no web designer knew how to recreate that stuff, you know, responsiveness. Yeah, it's funny because people do attribute the flat design trend to Apple, but I actually think it was the web that started that because we were making these very elaborate websites. I remember we were obsessed with wood and wood paneling and then you couldn't do that in CSS, you know, so I feel like it came from web first and then like Apple took it on, interestingly enough. I remember lots of websites that did skeuomorphic things or even if you were doing an under construction web page, you would try to do some kind of construction sign or things like that. Yeah, and also our headers were so elaborate. We had these swirls. Oh my God, we were obsessed with swirls. And like leaves. And I even made one website where I had done the typography in a sewing pattern under the materials. You cannot do this now. <laughs> <laughs> It was definitely a joyous time. Well, there's the challenge now. I want to see someone try to recreate that in today's responsive world. Let's, there's the challenge out. Someone yeah, figure out yeah, how to do this do today. Totally, challenge is out there. <laughs> well, obviously design has gone through a lot of transition while you've been working in this field. Mm. What do you think keeps you excited and interested in working as a designer? So I'm definitely a lifelong learner. I do very much enjoy learning new things. I do think it suits my character trait to be in an industry that's constantly changing. I also very much enjoy teaching. I teach UX design to religious women across the world. They could be in America or in England or in Israel. And I really enjoy that because I think teaching is just a great way to give back and keep that joy of designing going. And it brings me so much joy to see how they grow throughout the year and the work they produce at the end. I get so much what we call in Judaism, nachas, which is another word for joy from them. That is so great. I love the focus on finding different 
underserved audiences where rather than just having oh, here's the one or two places that people go to learn mm. and everyone has to go there. Instead, niching down and having different communities that get to learn that have similar life experiences or ways of understanding, I think that helps transition people in an environment where the learning can be more focused to where they're coming from and what they understand. So I, I love that approach. That's really cool. Oh, thank you. Uh, I also consider myself self-taught in terms of UX. I'm so grateful for all the people before me who just put out content online and did all that kind of stuff. Otherwise, I couldn't be where I am today because I learned in a very non-traditional manner as well. So definitely like really into that, yeah. Awesome. Is that something where you all have a website or something that people can get involved. How does that work? Uh, so it's best if someone's interested just to contact me directly and we'll hook them up. Yeah. And you can find me on all the platforms. Awesome. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We'll include. So if anyone is interested in reaching out, feel free to check out the show notes and the links are in there we like to talk about in this podcast is something that brings you joy. Have you used something lately that brings you a lot of joy? And if so, what is that? So I know it sounds really funny, but I really enjoy <laughs> this app called CleanShot X. And it's all about just making screenshots that are better screenshots. I think it's really funny how we say we love things like we love both inanimate objects and we love people. But I think the reasons why we love them are different. So I love clean shot why do I love clean shot because it makes my day so much easier as a designer I'm taking screenshots all day every day and the fact that it just saves them on the side on my screen like in the left hand corner and then I could just grab them and I can just put little notes on or make a little video it just it saves me so much time and it's saving me pain you know it's solving a problem for me and kind of giving me pleasure whereas we love people we love people in terms of because we give to those people, right? I love my children because I give to them. Of course, as they say, there's nothing greater than a mother's love. And why does the mother love their children so much? Because from day one, they're just giving, 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 you know? So I think it's so interesting how, from like a human psychoanalysis perspective, when we say we love things, you know? Yeah, it's definitely interesting, I think that we kind of reuse that language in these different areas and that it's almost opposite because when we love people, to your point, we really love the people that we're giving to, whereas in the tools and the objects and the places that we love are really the things that give us enjoyment and satisfaction. So it's almost kind of flipped. Yeah, that is really interesting. You know, with CleanShot X, what is it in particular I heard you mention? It'll hold them on the side. You can add notes. So is it the workflow? Is there a specific tooling about the quality or any specific screenshot features? Or is it really just the fact that it smooths out your workflow where you're not having to mentally keep track of where you saved the files? Yeah, I think it's really the workflow because especially nowadays, we can have all these windows open. Like we'll have Figma open and have a browser open and Slack or WhatsApp open. And it's so easy, like I can take a screenshot in the platform. It stays on my desktop. I don't have to then open it up in Figma and then use whatever tools are there, which aren't ideal quick marker tools. It keeps it on the side, you press into it, it opens up and it's got these tools like markers or 
ability to white out or to zoom into areas. The tools are made specifically for screenshots, which is that whole theory of a product just not having too many features. You know, when a product has too many features or too many things, it can be overwhelming. We all know Hicks Law, like too many options and too many problems. Like, <laughs> so, whereas before I would have to bring into a screenshot into Figma or Photoshop, and you're using tools that were designed for crafting screens, for crafting websites, not for commenting on a screenshot saying, move this here, move that there, or that's wrong, or this wrong. <laughs> that kind of stuff. I love a tool that someone says, you know what, I'm going to make something that does one thing. Mm. And it does that one thing really well. And that is what their focus is. And they know when to say no to features because it detracts from the primary purpose and allows it to really stay focused. That's awesome. Yeah, 100%. And I'm sure they probably sit there like, well, we could add this, we could add that. And, you know, and I'm sure it's really hard not to do that. <laughs> It's been a great conversation. I really appreciate you coming and joining the show. It's been really fun. Yeah, it's been so fun. I really thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed being here and I can't wait to listen to the episode and all the other episodes as well that are coming out. Yeah, bye. Thank you for joining us for episode 10, Making These Rounded Half Triangles with Miriam Isaac. You can find out more about Miriam on her Twitter at mIsaac85. You can find links to everything we talked about in this episode, as well as a link to Miriam's Twitter in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, help others discover it as well by rating and reviewing it in your favorite podcast directory. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at WebJoyFM. Thank you for listening, and have a great day. Is that a crime? All right, then. Next episode on WebJoy. It was so fun. It was one of the most fun conferences that I've done. And it was great to get to run away to Miami while it was still like a little bit cold back home. And be like, all right, like this is work. I get to hang out here <laughs> under the palm trees and talking about React. All right, I can get used to this. I think there's honestly so much good to be said for online conferences, especially in terms of accessibility and allowing people to attend who might not have previously been able to attend a conference in person. So in person has a lot of barriers. I'm glad that we've seen a rise in online conferences. And at the same time, it's very hard to replicate the energy of a room full of people who are all really excited about the same thing. <laughs> so I enjoyed doing both. But for me, I think especially after the extended isolation of COVID times, it's been especially gratifying to be back in a room. So put yourself out there. If you're interested in speaking at conferences and stuff, I got rejected my first time. It's okay. I'm going to oh, take yeah. that Me too. and throw it to another <laughs> conference. And Catherine gets rejected plenty, 60%. So yeah, I, I guess it's probably higher. <laughs> it probably should have been like 65 or 70. <laughs> the longer the podcast goes on, the higher the number climbs. It's just going to keep getting, the, the rejections are flowing in as we speak. <laughs> the rejections are flowing in with Catherine Grayson Nance.